Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. Now, did you forego getting married, having kids, all that other kind of stuff? Um, much like the career of big company opportunities, it was less a case of foregoing as a case of no one asked. So, <laughs> okay. Also, it's a lesser part of the culture. Uh, Hollywood is great. You get to meet a lot of people. You're never suffering for chances to go out and be in the world. In fact, I didn't realize we were going to get into this realm of the podcast, but where my romantic life has most suffered in recent years is everything I've done the last couple of years, I've been the boss of. (laughs) You can't hit on your employees. When you are an employee, that's a different story. Coworkers can meet. But when you're everybody's boss, ain't no Weinstein here. So so I haven't been meeting anybody for years now who hasn't actively been on my own payroll. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That makes it complicated. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then what, what advice would you give, you know, to say your your younger self, you know, that like when you're first coming out of college, like don't do the web series. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> that, that that was the number one thing, huh? It really just tanked you. <laughs> That's an easy one out the gate. Don't do the web series. Or better, hire Felicia Day. <laughs> then do the web series. Okay. So that I mean, so Okay, then what would you tell some younger person who's coming out of film school or is maybe in high school thinking about they want to, like, start making their own films, doing this other kind of stuff? What kind of advice would you give them, uh, you know, in order to pursue their dreams in the most effective way possible? I would give them two pieces of advice. The first and most important one, this industry is not a monolith. So anybody who's telling you the way to succeed is someone you should probably distrust because what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for you. That doesn't mean so you be acutely aware of what is your own situation. What are the strengths you have? What are the things you have access to? Do you have a rich family member? Are you rich? Do you have friends willing to volunteer enough time that even though no one's getting paid, you could still make the equivalent of a product that someone put a lot of money into? Your resources are different and they're unique to you. And keeping that in mind, I would tell them to think of this as a business. And I don't mean in the sense of how do I market myself, stuff like that. But with every project, how does this turn into the next project? Not necessarily how does this turn into tons of money? You don't need to win the lottery, stuff like that. But how does this thing I'm doing right now get me to the next thing? If I want this to be my job, it's always about the next thing. So if let's say you're volunteering for a friend on a project. And the thing they're doing, you don't really care about that much, but it's your your friend's project, so you care. The assumption should be that when it turns around to your next project, that person's helping you. That's how this is contributing to your next project. You're giving them your time pro bono. They now owe you their time pro bono. And you need to be aware of that because you're going to deal with the friends and not friends who will not intend to reciprocate. 
And if you're not getting that reciprocation, then you're not getting anything out of this unless it's a project you truly believe in and you want to see succeed. So how does every project lead to the next project? And there's no one size fits all thing to that. It could be this. It could be that this is a proof of concept that I want to show around at film festivals, maybe get some people interested and develop that into a feature. Maybe it's I'm going full in on the YouTube channel. This is my thing. I'm going to invest in making like 10 videos. I'm never going to earn a penny just to get my channel rolling for the next six months and start building a network. What is the think of it like a business plan? And that's not separate from art. They can work together on this. This can feed back into itself. This is People always have that discussion of the art versus business. Mm -hmm. It is not an either or. You can do both. Yeah. So that would that would be my biggest long-winded, incredibly <laughs> tangential bit of advice, which I'm sure came off as perfectly coherent. No, I think that I think that makes sense. What would you say? What would you say the skills that someone should develop? You know, like maybe you said, "Oh, yeah, I focus on this too much," and I realized, man, I should have been focusing on my my sales ability and my ability to raise money and 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 pitch better. Like, you know, what are, what are those kind of things that you would say as far as the business side of things that you should develop as a young person? Logistics, because that's going to apply to both the artistic side and to the business side. The simple nine to five logistics of how you put a put a movie together. Um, it's easy when you're young to kind of do it through sheer force of will, like I did on that web series. But no joke, that did nearly kill me. And that was in my early 20s level of exhaustion. The logistics as an artist are what's going to make it possible to realize your vision creatively. What is it legitimately required to do this on a very basic mechanical way? If I want this to look like this, what type of camera does that require? Am I qualified to operate that type of camera? Do I need to bring it to a DP? And logistics is also going to apply to the business side, because once you're thinking in those terms, in the sense of here is my artistic piece, here's what I need to realize it. I need X amount of dollars to do that. Who can I talk to to help opening those doors? It's like, all right, maybe this is as you're going to your uncle, the dentist, because you need a few thousand dollars just to pay a few friends for one day because everything else is unpaid. But you're thinking about it in those terms and the ability to have that type of conversation and know what you're talking about means when you start talking to more experienced people and you need people with more experience than that you can start to learn from, they're going to realize that they can talk to you as an equal. Because it's so if I'm talking to my producer, for example, Ben Yenny, Ben is the guy who finds me my money. He's the one who helps distribute the films. He is my go to guy. He is the one who manages all that. But he and I can still sit down and have a conversation about his world with full understanding without him having to talk to me like an idiot. What that tells him when we first meet is I'm someone because he's more experienced than me on the business side. But because I know how to have that type of conversation, he knows when we're first meeting and getting to know each other that he can work with me. The worst thing you can possibly do is to be the type of young filmmaker who walks in going, I know everything. I know everything better than you. No, you don't. And that's the quickest way to get the more seasoned people in the room to go. Even if this kid's a genius, I mean, geniuses are a dime a dozen. That's one of the other big things you <laughs> learn. Genius is not rare creatively. Genius and being able to work with people is rare. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. Being a brilliant creative is just not enough. You got to know how to speak the language. Even if you're not doing the work of selling it, you got to know how to talk to the people who will. And just so really just logistics. Yeah, that makes sense. So 
tell us a little bit about your your current project and uh, the thing you 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 know kind of put your energy into and and um and where it's at and and you know what you're doing with it. It sounded like you had some you know decent names attached to it and yes, Tim Travers and the Time Travelers Paradox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my first multi million dollar feature films. Also, first feature film. First, <laughs> honestly, first thing I've ever done with a budget of more than a few hundred. So it, <laughs> big. So big jump up on several bits. This was a feature that we did not plan on doing. I was going to be doing a different feature last year. The budgeting fell through, but I had enough money of my own independently that I had planned in investing into the other feature, but just as a partial investor, that as long as I could bring my budget down, I could do something else differently. And because we had the production window, we had to do it right now, just right now. And I had done this short film the previous year as basically just a chance to work with the studio North by Northwest. I was really an excuse to do a short, but pretend it's a feature. Logistically, we treated it as though we were doing a feature film this short. And this goes back to the logistics things because I knew I was not prepared to do a feature because I had never done something with that organizational team structure. So I was using the short as the excuse to educate myself, which is why I worked with the studio that I was going to do the movie with. And then kind of surprising everybody, the short film did gangbusters on the film festival. The main actor won multiple best actor awards. The, it was, uh, it was best of fest at everything from Boston sci-fi, Nevermore, which are relatively big festivals. So it just kind of shocked us. And so when I realized that I had to do a feature right now, Tim Travers was as close to a market testing as I was ever going to get, called up the lead actor, said, Hey, we're going to do this. There's not even a script yet, but 90 days from this conversation, we're rolling camera. And that's what we did. Wow. wow. 90 days. <laughs> and I, it was a great chance because I got to bring back everything I'd learned. I got to use all my contacts from the industry of getting to work with celebrities sort of for other people, but bringing it in. And I got to correct the mistake I made on Chadwick Periwinkle. And I did make sure Felicia Day is in Tim Travers. So <laughs> I, I was looking at the cast. I was like, ah, I see where this is going. Felicia Day is there. Yeah, that was yeah smart. you picked up. I was, I was doing some foreshadowing there. Yeah, I like that. And you're, you're a good storyteller, I can tell. <laughs> God, I hope so. We've invested a lot. <laughs> That's so, awesome. And we also brought in Joel McHale, which was a very weird full circle moment for me. Because remember when I mentioned I did background? The very yeah. first thing I ever worked on in L.A. was on an episode of Community. Really? That's so crazy. I'm in the gay bash. You can see me dancing on the stage in the background. I had more <laughs> hair. That's the time. But That's my first professional gig was on Community. And so all these years later to have the lead actor that come back working on my feature, it was a, wow. it was the closest to being genuinely starstruck. I think I was the whole shoot because of just my own personal connection mm -hmm. to it. Mm. And then of course we had the legendary Keith David, which was fantastic. And finally, Danny Trejo rang, rounding out the whole collection. Man. So cool. Yeah. So we were shooting for only 17 days framing in. Oh what? yeah. What? A feature film in 17 days. That's, that's impressive. A normal feature would have been impressive. Tim Travers is a time travel comedy. So 90% of the film are scenes where it's the one actor and a dozen clones of him on screen. And the way you have to do that technically is it means every shot you're doing, you actually have to shoot it a dozen times. Right. So 17 days would have been short for a normal movie. 
For this, no. it was positively nuts. Well, well. What, uh, how, how did you plan for all that? I mean, how, like who helped you? Well, for I, logistics. <laughs> that's right. Let's go back to logistics. Okay. First of all, where did the story come from or this idea of the story? Is it something you kind of had in your back pocket for a long time or? It was very reactionary. I was at it. So for the original short and when I, and when I came up with the short, I had never intended it to be anything but that it was not a proof of concept when I made it. Okay. I was at a, a film festival that I really enjoyed. And for some strange reason, they did two back to back time travel features. And it was all about time travel as character motivation. And what does this mean symbolically? And I hated, 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 hated it. Because you had characters who would realize they discovered time travel and then go, all right, well, I got to go to class now. You just discovered time. Fuck class. You are a god. Get your priorities in order. And I've just wanted to write a story about a character who would think like a real scientist. And I realized the only way to do that is to make the character functionally a mad scientist. But an amoral prick who no matter how disgusting or contemptible what was happening would always respond, what is the most interesting scientific question? And so it became a very hard science-focused film because time travel is impossible. I think most people know that intuitively, but the actual reasons why it's impossible if you dive into the physics are fascinating. Right. And so everything he brings up in the short, that's real. Uh, time itself being a physical dimension limited by the speed of light, all that stuff he brings up is real. In fact, there's even uh, some stuff out this past year that implies that black holes could be the consequence of conflicting information in a time travel situation, which is, and this was just literally an article out this past year, and that's literally a plot point in the film. <laughs> now, spoilers, did you, black holes are going to have something to do with Did the you have to do a lot of research about time and like, did, I mean, what kind of in-depth studying did you have to do to kind of nail that? Uh, I had to do a lot of in-depth studying more to just fact check myself. So I had been auditing at um, USC uh, astrophysics classes for a couple years. That's a hobby of mine. When I did that web series way back in the day, I got super into Hubble photos. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of just becoming an armchair astronomer. Uh, I have a couple friends uh, who do deep dives in that, including uh, Jesse Hendricks. She does the uh, Element a Day in May YouTube web series, and she also does the stuff with the Getty. She's fantastic, and she's a friend I love talking to about that. So a lot of it was stuff I had already kind of read mm -hmm. about and then was trying to force into a script. And then I went back, fact-checked the hell out of it, figured out at what point am I going to say magic. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's a film about time travel. There is a limit to how hard I can keep the science. There is a sure. point where you just got to go magic. Yes. It's a magic door. Yeah. A magic yeah, door. Yeah. Totally. Because I need the plot. Day. Right. But I can still have the character explore it as a scientist. Cool. And the biggest change into uh, turning that into a feature was the joke of the short was that Tim Travers had no character arc at all. No matter what happens in that 20 minute film, he does not change. And that is kind of the joke. The biggest change for the feature is this character now has to carry an hour, 40 minute film. So he needed a true character arc. So that's why the very first thing I did before I even wrote the script was just call up the lead actor, Samuel Dunning. And he and I just had a lengthy conversation about if we were to expand this character out, what is that story going to be? Mm -hmm. And 
turned out, and I'm as surprised about this by anybody, it is a story about learning to love yourself. Mm -hmm. And I mean that literally because of the time travel. <laughs> have you ever seen um, Have you ever seen uh, Predestination with Ethan Hawke? I have not. Okay, you should. Uh, that's a really great sci-fi sci-fi film. Um, so when is, when does this movie come out? When does uh, it's got a long road ahead of it. So we just okay. locked picture. Uh, locking okay. picture is what it's called when you have finished the edit. This is what the final version of the film is going to look like. But it's so because you're going to send it now to a couple of different departments. So now the locked edit goes to three major groups. The first and most important is effects. We have an insane number of effect shots in this because of all the split screening. And at some point we're doing deep fakes because we have body doubles right. just so that the character can physically interact with themselves. So we have just way too many effect shots. <laughs> so the effects team is, as we speak, uh, they are putting together the bid on it. And then we're going to put together a timeline. It'll probably be six to eight months worth of effects. The other group it goes to is the composers. Uh, overseas, and that's a great group that I've loved working with out there, uh, Damon Baxter and Cybeg, and they're going to start building the complete score. But they couldn't do that until it was picture locked because right. they need the millisecond timing of right. what's happening. Because with music, you're coordinating it to like a hand gesture. Mm. So if you break lock, it's a pain in the ass. And then the third mm. group, but the sorry, third group is the color. Color will probably come in last after effects, but what they're going to do now is start figuring out what each scene is going to look like. Just because the effects team, as they're building the CG, is going to want to have a sense of it. Mm -hmm. Because that affect the sort of CG they do. There are some scenes where the effects are so overwhelming to given scenes, where it's just every shot, that at a certain point, it's better to just have the effects team do the color correcting because it's functionally a digital shot from the ground up. That's true. And then lastly, the Foley and the sound mix, which on big production budgets, sound engineering and sound mixing are two different groups. On a budget of this level, it's going to be the same group. And they're the ones who will go through, clean up all the audio, go through, redub any new audio that we need, and start building out every single sound effect. The Time Machine prop, uh, which is what, if you Google the film and you look at the posters on the short film, and we rebuilt this prop for the feature, so we built this sucker twice, wow. uh, wow. is a 20 four and a half foot tall monolith oh. geometric shapes to it. It is a beast. And where sound is going to get into that is it has to have a voice all of its own. It can't just be sitting there quietly or having a hum. It's got to make it whereas the film goes on, the time machine becomes a character just in how you can hear the gears and the joints moving inside of it. Mm. So it is a humongous. There's a reason they devote two different Oscars to this. Yeah. So. And that'll also be the group that when they get the score delivered, will go through and balance the score against all the effects, okay. sound effects. Wow. Got it. So all that has to can't start until you picture lock. So big deal. We locked okay. picture last week. I'm hurry. Yeah. <laughs> now, was that hard to get to for you? Like as far as the editing process goes? I mean. Exhausting. Yeah, I'm sure it's one of those things too, right? When it's this baby that you've birthed and then it's like just wanting to really get timing right and just the execution of all these things and like what to cut. I mean, that's a, the biggest thing, right? It's like, okay, does this help the movie move forward? And like, you know, all these other kinds we, of things. We did a test screening a couple of months back. So right now it's an hour 40. Uh, our original test screening was just shy of two hours. We shaved out nearly 20 minutes without cutting a single scene. Oh, wow. Okay. So just did stuff. Now I had the, deep misfortune that my editor 
is actually incredibly talented and cares about the film, which was very unfortunate for me. Because <laughs> if they were just phoning it in, I wouldn't have had to spend months fighting with Jason. And Jason McKee was our editor on this. He's fantastic. But because he cared and he's actually talented, this was a months-long process. We probably went through... We kept coming up with new terminology. First, we just had the initial rough cut. Then we turned the rough cut into the test screening cut. Then we had the phase one of edits, the phase two of edits, the phase three. I think we made it up to <laughs> phase five before we finally locked the feature. Wow. But there's not a single line. There's not one word in that film that Jason and I weren't slaving over at some point, figuring out the exact wording of it. And also as an editor, Jason gets the Going through, picking out the lines, finding the timing, that's the fun. That's the creative part. He had to go through and do the crappy work. So a lot of the time, like, you'll have an actor who churns. And the shot is great, the performance is great. But when they churned, they had their hand here. But on the other shot, they didn't. So now you've got to figure out how to make mm. it where their hand doesn't do that. Or if you try to speed up the pacing on a scene and a character's walking around, you'll get what's called teleporting. Where every time you cut back to the character, because you trim something out, they moved farther than feels natural. So you're trying to simultaneously figure out how to speed up the scene without making it look like the actors are Nightcrawler. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but it, it came out really great. And McKee, if you're listening to this, just phenomenal, the work he put into it. So. Wow. Okay, so, so now you have all these tedious things you got to get done before the film can come out. And then has someone picked up the film? Is it going to get distributed by somebody? Like, what does that look like? That starts now. That's where Ben, uh, Ben Yenny, our producer, starts earning the big bucks there. So he has already been spending the last several months talking to folks, introducing studios that might be. There are actually several big names that I cannot name here, lest Ben ring the life out of me when he listened to this. But he has already started that process of taking meetings. We've already actually delivered copies of the film to a few of the groups that we think are ready to look at it now. That's something where you got to feel out kind of as you go. And because this is an indie film, the question that will be perpetually hanging over our heads is whether or not we take a pre-sale before it's done or we wait till we're in festivals uh, mm. next year. But because of how long the effect's going to be, we're not even going to be in festivals until 2023. But that would wow. be probably your first opportunity to see it. You would mean be 2024, yeah. Yeah, sorry, 2024, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. No. We, we time-traveled. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, yeah because that's the gamble too, right on the business side of things, where it's like, okay, I could sell this now for X, Y, and Z, but then if it does super great at festivals and people are the buzz is hot, then you could make a lot more money if you hold you know hold on to it and have the proof of concept saying, hey, this is a money maker. It, it'll be a very interesting time, and I sorry I can't speak more to that <laughs> at this time. <laughs> Because yeah. of the conversations that are presently happening. Yeah, so. yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, you know, seems like uh, it'll be um, just an adventure for sure, to say the least. So it'll be, maybe we can have you back on, um, you know, afterwards uh, one, sometime next year. And one can, way or the other, I will be drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, I Ben, do you got any takeaways for us today? Yeah, yeah. I took some notes. Uh, a few things that you said really kind of stood out as things that can apply both to filmmaking and to business. Uh, so I wrote down a couple things you said. One was part of being a good director is understanding how every other job works. I feel like that is so true in business mm -hmm. too. And being a boss is understanding the work of your employees and your team. Um, the people who succeed are the people who keep showing up. 
once again, applicable to business as well. I like what you said about figuring out what advantage you have. That's not like one stop or an easy answer for success. You have to figure out what resources you have that are different and unique to you. Uh, and then last thing was you said being a brilliant creative isn't enough. You have to know how to communicate and work with other people. And cast Felicia Day. And cast Felicia Day. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, hey, where can people connect with you if they want to uh, follow you and, and follow the film? What's the best place to reach you? Two best spots are my website and my Instagram. My website, you know, for formal stuff to see what projects I'm actually working on. And that's simply stimpsonsneed.com and my Instagram for everything else. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. Okay. Well, hey, thanks so much for uh, being a part of the show today and um, just letting us hear your story. And hopefully it encourages somebody out there who's looking into uh, getting into to filmmaking or just pursuing a passion uh, in, in a creative way. So uh, if you want to find out more, you can head over, head over to the FridayHabit.com to find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of always in your business. Yeah, and if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have any questions for us, shoot us an email at hello at thefridayhabit.com. That's right. And remember, live every day like it's Friday. <laughs>